Well, good morning, Overlake. Let's stand to our feet. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. We are going to start the morning by singing about God's amazing grace. So let's do that. All our voices loud in praise to Jesus.
truth to sing together that he is good because here's the reality is um, 
Our sports teams are gonna let us down. People are gonna let us down. Systems that we put our hope in are gonna let us down. But you know that God will never let us down. That's who He is. That's the promise we hold on to, that He will never let us down. And we hold on to that. And that's why it's so good to sing that this, together this morning. I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. My name's Neely. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're excited. It's going to be a good day today. Um, I heard there's a little sporting event happening. I'm not sure all the details, but I heard it's happening today at some point. Um, but you're here, and that's what matters. When you came in, you got a handout. Inside the handout is a connection card. And that connection card, um, is it's a great tool. I'd love for you to take a moment during service to fill it out. There's some good action steps that we'll talk about a little bit today. Um, if it's your very first time, I'm so glad you're with us. It's a good Sunday to join us. We're starting a brand new series today on 1 Thessalonians, so it's a good one to jump in on. What I'm going to ask is you hold on to this and don't drop it in the bucket at the end of the service. But instead, as you're leaving, stop by the Connection Center and just change it in. Exchange it for a little gift. It's kind of our way of saying thanks for, for coming and joining with us. Look, there is very, it, you would not know a sporting event was happening today. There's literally one jersey, and I, I don't know even what team it is. It's, it's not the colors that should be playing today. So here's what I want. I think we should meet the people around us, and we should say, go sports. Go for it. Again, my name is Neely. Um, if you didn't catch it that first time, I'm so glad you're here. Being together, I feel like it's such a good choice. Um, I know a lot of us are maybe rooting for a certain thing to happen today in this sporting event, but as a mom of three with a couple sick kids, here's what I'm rooting for, that everyone doesn't get sick in the house. You know, like, is it going to be the domino? If we do it, let's just all do it in the day. Let's not, it could last till April. You know, like, let's not do that. Um, but I'm glad to be here today. We're starting a new series on 1 Thessalonians. And this, uh, this book in the Bible is actually a letter. It's one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul to a, a church that he helped start. There's actually 13 of these letters written by Paul in the Bible. 13 letters written by somebody. I love, I don't know, something, I love the idea that the Bible includes letters. Because what happens here in this letter sent from a variety of people, Paul wrote a letter, uh, multiple letters, Peter wrote letters. These letters are written to a certain group of people. And not only do these letters like teach us about God and what it means to follow Jesus, but these letters actually also show us something else. They teach us about the relationship that the early church had with each other, what the author and the reader, about their relationship. And there's something so amazing about that. In fact, the other day I was looking for an old photo and I came across emails that Josh had sent me when we were dating. Now, here's the thing. 
we celebrated this summer 21 years of marriage, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good, you know. It's a long time to tolerate one person, you know. So we're really crushing it. But we were dating for uh, three years before we got married, and we went to Northwest together. And after during the summer, Josh would go home to his hometown, Spokane, Washington. And I happened to this year start a new job, um, this, the job that at a church in Bellevue. And, and we were emailing back and forth, and these emails are amazing. These, I mean, they're amazing. They're embarrassing. Like my kids, I was like reading them to my kids and they were like, make it stop. You know, like they were so embarrassed. Um, but he, I brought some because I, I kind of think I want to share someone with you this morning. But here's what I want you to know. First of all, it was a long time ago. You know, like email is kind of a big deal. The fact that we were emailing each other is a big deal. Like Josh was using the house, his household, his parents, everybody had one email in that house. They shared it. And I love it. It was a ponder to eat at juno.com. I think they still have it. So feel free to email, email my in-laws if you would like, but they shared it. Isn't that amazing? Like in my house, we have like 26 emails from my collective house. You know, they had one email and he was emailing me at my work email, which I had gotten a fancy, shiny CD to start my free AOL account, right? How many have an AOL account out there, you know? Yeah, um, I, I started it, it was my church one, and I was very creative, because my name, my maiden name is Neely Trudeau, and so my email was neely to do at AOL. I don't know, I, was, I, I like I'm a very productive person, I like productive lists, so to do felt like, I don't know, probably need to work through that one. But. Um, we, in our church building, in our office, we had one computer that had dial-up. So you, like, went to your work office. If you had to write an email, you went to that one computer. I'm sorry, it's a long time ago. There were dinosaurs walking through our parking lot. You know, like, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Things have changed. But anyway, I don't know why I'm giving that much context. I'm just going to read it. Also, this is Josh and I when we were dating. Um, yeah. I know. I know. The best part is, like, um, we went to a Christian university, so, like, I, I thought a lot of the boys were pretty clean-cut, not really my style. In walks this guy with huge chops and a giant goatee, and I was like, that is my man. <laughs> he will be mine. You know, like, that's how it happened. Okay, anyway, here's, here we go. Email. I was a children's pastor, context. To the most popular children's camp director in the assemblies. I hope you had an amazing week at camp. When I talked to you on Tuesday, it sounded like you were really enjoying yourself and that everyone loves you. Something that doesn't surprise me one bit. You're the best, and I think that nobody even comes close to comparing. The job's going well as usual this week. Youth group went the best that it has since I started, but I'll explain more in the details below. You know, it's a good thing that I'm working a job that keeps me real busy because I think I would die of heartache if I had to sit in front of this computer thinking about how far apart we are any more than I do. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Once he tells me he likes me more than a cheeseburger, so you know it was serious. Um, you know, there's like lots of pages, and if you found these emails, you would read them and you'd be like, okay, so there's some weird details about cheeseburgers in there, um, but there's some boring details, there's some future planning, there's some encouragement, but it would be pretty clear to you that these are emails between people who know and love each other, right. that, that, that knowing that information would impact how you read them. You would not assume that Josh is saying these things to you because you understand the context. 
And so over the next few weeks, as we read through 1 Thessalonians, as we look through Paul's letter to the church, it's going to be helpful for us as we're studying it, as we're reading it, to keep in mind that this is written from a particular person to a particular group of people. Yes, it's inspired scripture. But when we understand fully the context of what it is, it's a letter written from who? Paul. And we'll unpack why he wrote it. It will matter to how we read it. It will determine the way in which we read it. It will inform our understanding. Gordon Fee, he's a professor of New, uh, New Testament studies. He wrote a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. He reminds us that the best practices when reading and trying to understand Paul's letters is to look to the original reader's questions. He says we make, modern Christians make the mistake that when we come to the text, when we come to scripture, uh, specifically a letter, we ask our own personal questions. And he says that's actually a mistake to do as a reader. We have to be asking, we have to be curious, what was the original reader asking? What information did they need from their founding pastor? And that's what we're going to do. So one of the reasons we're going to do that is we're going to walk through a book together collectively, this letter, because we value scripture. We think scripture informs how we live as, as, as individuals. It informs us how we live as a community. So it matters. So we're going to dive into it. In fact, here's an invitation I'd love for you to consider. On that connection card on the back, you'll notice that one of the steps is, is to read 1 Thessalonians over the next month together for us all to do it, to read it, to dive in, to allow ourselves together to be impacted by Scripture. Now, I grew up watching my dad read the Bible every day. My dad was very faithful to reading the scripture. In fact, he would read it, read through the Bible every year in a different translation every year. Wow. It was amazing. It was so impressive. And I, I was like, you're amazing. I, I want to do this. So I was a junior in high school. So I was like, I'm going to read through the Bible this junior year of high school. I believe it was 1991, you know, like I was going to do this. It took about a day and a half for me to realize, hey, my dad is a superhero, a very fast reader and has a lot of extra time on his hands because it was hard. It was intimidating. It was overwhelming. Within two weeks, I was like so far behind. It was going to take me until now to finish it. So like I gave up, but we don't want scripture to be intimidating. We want us to embrace it, to read it together. So here's my encouragement is pick a translation that you can read and read just through the book of first Thessalonians with us. It's a small book. It's easy to do. I think it's a good idea for us to collectively do it. And here's the deal. I say translations, I throw this out, and I think we might have a, a wide range of understanding what that means about translation. So let me explain it a little bit because there are a lot of translations. Here's, I want to just start by this. Uh, just go ahead and raise your hand if you speak and read Greek. Good. We are all on the same playing field here. I feel very good about this. So none of us actually know Greek, and that's what the letter was originally written in. And so we need it to be translated. And a translation is literally a biblical scholar's attempt to, to rewrite, retell, explain this letter for us, to, to, to work it into the modern language. So you need to understand, we all need to kind of understand that any translation of scripture in some way is an interpretation. It's an interpretation. So there's like ESV, NIV, CEB, NRSV, NLT, run DMC, where's my 80 kids at, you know? Okay. 
So there's a lot of translations and there's a lot of conversation about what makes a good one. Sometimes a good translation is a translation that's a literal word-for-word translation, minimal context. Some might say a good uh, translation is one that contextualizes while it translates. And there's, there's lots of debate about it. In fact, uh, Pat was, Pastor Pat was telling me that he took a New Testament class at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he was taking it from a professor who was reading the text straight from Greek. So we're, real, we're glad she's not here today to correct me, but she was reading it straight from Greek, right? And she said to a couple of the classmates, like, you read your verse in your translation, and, and he read it, and then the she read it, and then they did multiple translations. In just three verses, this professor found something she liked in every translation and something that she didn't like in every translation. So here's a biblical scholar who knows Greek saying no translation is perfect. So we could spend a long time like debating which one's the best one, but here's what I'm going to tell you, my personal opinion. Here's the best translation, the one you're reading. Right, if you're opening it up and you're engaging and it's keeping you coming back to it, it's a great translation. At Overlake, the Bible right in front of you, it's the New Living Translation. And this version in its own words says it's easy to read and understand while accurately communicating the meaning and the context of the original biblical text. We like it. It's a good one to understand. So if you're thinking you want to do First Thessalonians and that feels scary, you don't know which translation, I'm going to encourage you to grab that Bible, take it home, and read it from that one. All right? Okay, enough about translations. Let's dive into First Thessalonians. So we already said it's written by Paul. Paul gives co-authorship to Timothy and Silas also. Most likely they just were partners in ministry, and Paul's really the one that's writing it. It's written to the believers who are primarily Greeks. They're Gentiles in Thessalonica, which is the capital city of Macedonia, a port city. It's thriving. It's a place of travel and transport. It's, It's a happening community. And we know that Paul traveled through this region, right? He went to various places and he proclaimed the message of Jesus. And here's the deal. I love this. I love this about Paul. This is kind of a little bit of his human side. Like Paul really loves the Thessalonians. And I think one of the reasons is whenever he went somewhere else in that region, he either ended up getting beat up, thrown in jail, jail or thre- threatened to k- get killed. You know, like not great experiences, but the Thessalonians, they were different. When they heard Paul's message, not only did they receive Paul's message, but they received Paul. And so I don't know, but I think Paul might have picked his favorite because they were the easiest, which is not a good parenting technique, okay? So, um, but anyway, so you can read about Paul and Silas's journey in the Macedonia, in the Macedonian region in Acts 16 and 17. It kind of shows you where he goes. Luke kind of keeps us informed of the journey. And you'll notice in verse, uh, in chapter 17, where he talks about Thessalonians and he talks about their response. And this is what it says in Acts 17, 4. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So Paul preached the message and, and the people, more Greeks than Jews, women, outsiders to this message, they were the ones who heard the good news and responded. And they heard the good news in a way that changed their lives in kind of a noticeable way. In fact, Paul, throughout the letter, you're going to hear Paul use proud parent language. He's so proud of them for how they've responded. 
They heard the good news and they formed a church. And I think one thing that's really unique about this letter that Paul has written to this church is Paul, a lot of his letters, other letters, they're kind of like corrective. They're like, let me um, teach you a little bit more. You've misunderstood something, so I'm going to add some clarity. Or, or a lot of letters have Paul defending himself and defending his message. But this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is different. This is a letter of a proud parent who's offering encouragement to people that he loves dearly. Amen. He loves them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read it. We're going to look for places that we can be encouraged. And we're going to look for what are things that they were doing that we need to be challenged to do also. Amen. So that's how we're going to approach chapter one. All right. So let's dive in. We're going to read all the way through chapter one. Don't, don't worry. It's okay. It's only 10 verses. I think we can do it. Right. So let's start. Let's dive in to first Thessalonians chapter one. It starts this way. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica. To you who belong to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for you, for all of you, and pray for you constantly. Now, Paul starts most of his letters this way. This is a pretty common introduction from Paul. He always starts with a gratitude and a, a, a prayer for the believers. But again, the schol like biblical scholars want us to know in 1 Thessalonians, what's different is this gratitude attitude and this prayer continues through this whole letter to this church. Paul loves them. They are special to him. They are dear to him. And so we're going to keep that in mind as we read the text. Verse 3, as we pray to God and to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you underline those three phrases? Faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope. Faith, love, hope. Paul uses these words a lot throughout the New Testament, throughout his letters. In fact, one of the most famous things Paul wrote is 1 Corinthians 13, which mentions faith, hope, and love in there. So we hear it. But what Paul's really trying to describe, what he's describing here is the things that make up a Christ follower. This is the Christian life, a person of faith and hope and love. And here's what he's saying to this church in Thessalonica. He's saying this, you've got hope. You've got love. You've got faith. I see it. It's good. And so this is the verse that's going to kind of like lead us through the whole book. It's going to guide us through the whole book. So we're going to come back to it a little bit later. Verse four, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. I love this statement. Paul says, we know. He's saying with certainty. I am certain. Uh, there's a lot of things that may be up for question here. But one thing I am certain of is this. You are loved. Amen. And you are chosen. That, what good news. And here, Paul's reality is that what he's teaching to this Greek Gentile audience is a Jewish message. It's a Jewish, Jewish message with Jewish history and Jewish lineage. And he's using a phrase that's very Jewish that God used about the Israelites, about being chosen people. And Paul's saying to a Greek, Gentile, prominent women crowd, you belong. You're chosen. I love you. God loves you. That's good news for them. That's good news for us. And how does Paul know with certainty? Verse 5 says this. For when we brought you the good news, it was not 
it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. He was certain because of what he saw in them. He saw the Holy Spirit working in them. It was evident in their lives. It wasn't that their lives determined that they had faith. Their lives demonstrated that they had faith. It wasn't that their lives earned the love of God. It was that their lives demonstrated that they fully knew they were loved by God. And they understood the good news. They heard the good news and it changed them and they became good news. This is a noticeable life change, right? He says you're filled with joy in spite of all the things you're suffering and enduring. It's amazing. These are young believers. They're new believers in faith. And Paul says, you've become like us, your teachers. You've become like us, your teachers, and you become like Jesus. Verse 7 picks up this. Up, up here. As a result, you have become an example to all believers in Greece, throughout both Macedonia and Achaia, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Amen. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. When you do this, circle the word turned. They turned from idols. In this region, idol worship was very normal. It was, it was the common practice. And there was, a, there was something to worship for everything. If you, if you needed favor at work, there was an idol to worship that. If you, if you wanted to find love, there was an idol to worship for that. If you wanted to have children, there was an idol. If you wanted a good harvest, if you were traveling, there was something unique to worship. Another interesting thing, another interesting practice that happened in this region is that people tended to worship the empire powers. So whoever was the leader became an idol. They became their savior. You can see, you can see in a lot of the New Testament, a lot of pushback is that there's worship songs written about the idol of the empire power. And, and Paul's saying, look, these Greeks, these Gentiles, they heard the message and they turned away from idol worship to serve the living God. Amen. They turned, they heard the message and it changed their life. There was a, a change of direction. When I see this word, I think of the word repentance. Maybe we don't talk about this enough, but there's a repentance. There's a seeing an old way of living and saying, I'm not choosing that way anymore. I'm choosing to serve God. N.T. Wright says this. That is what is conver conversion is all about. The word turned in verse 9 is as close as Paul gets to a technical term for conversion itself. What happens when someone stops going in one direction and turns around and begins going the other way? This is their conversion story. Their conversion story is they worshiped idols, they heard the good news, and they changed their life to worship God. It changed. And that story was being heard everywhere. It was ringing out everywhere. Not only the kindness they showed to the apostles, but their response to the good news. So final verse, verse 10 says this. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, 
Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of coming judgment. They speak of your hope. They speak that you are believers, even in the midst of all that you're experiencing in life, you hold on to hope that Jesus will, in fact, return, that Jesus will redeem all things, that Jesus will make all things new. So they became ordinary people who had done something extraordinary because it was a response to an unexpected message. So that's chapter one. Ten verses. Just the introduction to the letter. There's a lot of goodness packed in there. So I want to ask a couple questions. How can we be encouraged? How can we be challenged? And there's actually a lot of encouragement in that chapter, right? So I want to look at verses uh, seven and eight. And this is what it says. It says, your example is ringing out to the world. And Overlake, I want you to be encouraged because the way you love people, the way we love people is ringing out everywhere. Paul said first it went to Macedonia, Macedonia, and then it went everywhere. And that is true about us. I hear, I get to hear stories about Overlake all the time and and the impact we're making. And I want to share a couple with you. Um, The first one is this. There's something really amazing happening in our middle school ministry here at Overlake with uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. There's something that's happening every Wednesday. And I don't know why it's happening, but it's amazing. But there are students coming from all over our community, and they're showing up. And we're seeing kids who are coming from homes that don't attend church, uh, don't have any faith background, and they're showing up here in numbers. There's one small group that has 25 girls in it. 25 girls from one school. One middle school. In fact, uh, our middle school pastor, she started volunteering at that school because she was like, I got to get in. And so she goes and has lunch there once a week. She coaches track there. She hangs out there. And this, is, this blew my mind when she told me this story. She was talking to the, one of the administrators. And the administrator, who is not a believer, said to her, listen, I need you to do something for me. She says, I need you to tell your leaders that what they're doing is making a difference in student lives. We are seeing students change their behavior when they go to your program. Tell your leaders. Man, every week, 25 adults show up to hang out with middle school students. And they are loving them in the middle of the mess. And they are showing them and they are pointing them to a God who says, you are loved, you are chosen, and it's messy. But here's the good news over like, the word is spreading. It's ringing out everywhere. The way we love people is ringing out. Also, as an adoptive mom, I've gotten connected with adoptive communities. I met people and I formed a friendship with a, a pastor's wife in Olympia about 10 years ago because we were both adopting at the same time. And we get together about once a quarter in Tacoma and just talk about life and ministry and motherhood. And she said, you know, I have to tell you that my friend in Colorado was talking about Overlake. And she was talking about the way you care for people. I've never heard about a church that cares for people like that. The story of how you are loving people is ringing out everywhere everywhere. Last spring, I was in a class uh, with a couple of other staff members at Fuller Theological Seminary in Houston. And on the first day, we introduced ourselves and we went around and said, my name's Neely. I'm a 
I work at Overlook Church. I'm a pastor there. At the very first break, one of the gals heads right over to us. She says, I have to talk to you because I've been to Overlake. I've been to Overlake. I'm an adoptive mom. And I came to the Refresh Conference. And I cannot believe that a church would do that for people. I can't believe that. The way we love people is ringing out everywhere. Here's the deal. Middle schoolers are messy. They're messy. Real messy. In fact, I, I have like a limited number of like, you know, holes in the wall I can put in. And I'm really crushing it so far this year. I realize it's only February, but still way under mark. You know, like we, they're messy. But we're saying we love them. Show up. Come on, bring it. Bring, what you, bring your foul language. Bring your fights. Bring the mess you bring because we love you. It's ringing out. And you know what? Loving adoptive families and foster families, it's super messy. It's a lot of work. But that's what we do here. That's what we do. We love people. We love people. And that news is ringing out everywhere. The reality is I could spend the rest of my time up here talking about it. I could tell stories about the impact of Overlake here and around the world. Be encouraged, Overlake. The way we love people is being told. It's being shared. In a dark and gloomy world, we are good news. That's amazing. That's amazing. So be encouraged. But I want you to be challenged also. And we're going to find our challenge in verse 3. We're going to come back to this because this is a big statement where Paul uses these phrases over and over, these words over and over. So here's our challenge. Commit to faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope. Faith, love, hope. What did Paul mean? What did he want them to do? What was he trying to do? What can we strive for? Well, let's unpack it. The first one is faithful work is this, constantly aligning our heart and our life. This combination of our faith and our works showing up together. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. Paul makes it pretty clear, like, look, you can't save yourself. That's an act of faith. But he also makes it pretty clear that out of your faith flows a life that reflects it. I love the common English Bible's translation of this verse. This is what it says. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope. It's a response. It's a reflective response to what's happening. But the writer of the book of James, um, ironically named James, he tells us this. He says that faith without works is dead. So he's putting a, cha- he's putting a little hotness on it. I don't know what that word is. A little heat on it. And he's saying, listen, your faith has to show up in your work. It has to show up in how you live. This is a theme throughout scripture. It's a constant commitment to aligning our heart and our life that our faith and who we are every day isn't separate. We have a problem, we're in a crisis when we're living as a disintegrated group of people. When what the invitation is, is to be integrated. The faith isn't an element, and then there's work, and then there's family, and then there's all this. No, it's, it's faith, and everything else does this. Everything else. And Paul's going to get really practical in First Thessalonians. He's going to talk about some of our relational dynamics, about how we interact with each other. And he's going to say, look, your life has to be aligned with your faith. That's the invitation. And that's what we make the commitment to. The second thing is this. 
Loving deed is love in action. It's love in action. I love the New Revised Standard Version. This is what it says, how it says it. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love. Labor of love. You might think work, I think birth. Right? I think about giving birth. It's a lot of work. It turns out it's a lot of work. Turns out... Once you're in, you can't stop either. You know, like it's done, right? I remember in the middle of, uh, I think it was the middle of times, has no sense, but of my second son's birth. And I remember looking at my husband. I may have grabbed him. I'm not totally sure. I was a little out of body experience. And I was like, I cannot do this. To which he's like, oh, you totally can. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't. I was just kidding. I just kidding. <laughs> I had the baby. I did it. I did it. I did the thing. You know, I pushed through. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's, he, he's not talking about fluffy love. He's not talking about rainbows. He's talking about a labor of love. A love is where we show up and we get there and we don't leave because it's messy. We don't leave because it's hard. We don't leave because it's uncomfortable. We stay. We're love in action. And you know what? I, I'm sorry. There's too many Christians who are like, love everybody anywhere. Love always. Love everybody. And then they're not doing it. Are we going to be people who do it? Are we going to be people who put it into action? Are we going to show up? Are we going to love that way? Because that's what they did. That's what this church did. They put their lives on the line for their love for each other. And we have a model in Christ who laid down his life. And so the question for us, do I love the idea of love or am I committed to really loving people, to putting it into action? Let us be people who strive for action. And the final thing is enduring hope. It's patience in the waiting. It's patience in the waiting. You know, us Washingtonians, we know how to do this. We know how to endure for so many things. So many things, but mostly because it's real gray. We have practices in place, right, to, like, help our mental well-being. Like, today it's sunny, ironically and weirdly. It's sunny. So here's what my practice is. I will not wear glasses, sunglasses because I want the sun to hurt my eyes. Because I'm going to need to hold on to that feeling. I'm going to need to remember that moment for the next 600 days, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I won't wear sunglasses. It's, it's how I cope, it's how I endure. And I endure because I know August is going to be glorious. I know it's gonna be wonderful. And that's what these believers did. They, they endured so much. They endured so much because they had this hope in what was coming. In this reality that Jesus would come and he would make all things right. That even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hard work, it wasn't really about them. It was about him. And he would return and he would make all things right. And so they endured, they patiently waited, and they showed up and they did it over and over Again, in the New Living Translation, it says, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told them, look, you're loved. You belong. You're a chosen people. And the same is true for you and me. The same is true for us. 
We are loved. We belong. We are chosen people all because of Jesus Christ. All because of him. So we endure. We hope. We wait patiently for the fullness of God's return and God's goodness and God's belonging. We wait for that. And here's what I know. With certainty, like Paul knew with certainty, I know this, that you are loved, that you belong, that you are a chosen person, and that you have, because of Jesus Christ, everything you need in you. Everything you need in you to do the faithful work, to do the loving deeds, to endure with hope. You have it all inside of you because Jesus lives inside of you. So dearly loved children, chosen people, may we be people who are committed to faithful work, committed to loving deeds, committed to enduring hope. Because why? Because we belong. We're children of God. May his good news make us good news. May our lives, our hope, our love, may it reflect that truth. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. And we are forever grateful for the reality that we belong that we are loved, we are chosen people. That isn't anything to do with us. It's all about you. And when you invite us into relationship with us, you call us, you commission us to faithful work, to loving deeds, to enduring hope. God, may we be those people who live out the reality that we are loved in a world that needs it so bad. God, may we be your people of love. In Jesus' name, amen.
out of fear. Praise God. Why well, you guys go ahead and have a seat. Friends, this is always the time in the service where we get to show up in a little bit different way. It's a, an extension of worship, the giving of our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. This is our church together. And we love that we're all in here together worshiping God. And so as you feel led to give this morning, and then there's multiple ways to give. Many of you give online. Do it with that heart of worship before the Lord. It's unto God that we give. I also want to draw your attention to the cards. If you want to pull them out, there's a couple ways to respond on that card. 
always listing prayer requests. We have teams that pray over those requests. But um, if you want to be part of the reading plan, let us know that so we can collectively send out some encouragement emails. And then also about the survey that's coming up in February that'll be sent out via email to um, just collectively cast some vision and get some feedback, just one of several ways of um, connecting with you guys. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And at this time, I'm also going to invite up my friend Mariana, who's going to come and share a little bit about her story of faith, how God has met her in some hard times through both the word and his heart for her. So can you welcome Mariana, please? Hello. Um, my name is Mariana, and I've been part of Overlake since 2015, and I'm a Jesus seeker for over 19 years. Uh, I'm happy and nervous to have the opportunity to share with you some of my experiences walking with the Lord. I have served here at Overlake in the Spanish ministry and on short-term mission trips, and I also serve our community through my work. With this testimony, I also embrace a prayer that I say with sincere hope for each one of us. I pray that we can find Jesus, whatever we are, or for everything that we may need today, because you know what? He is eternal, He is good, and His presence is with us every day and forever. I don't know all the ways that the Lord talks to me and talks to everyone. But what I know for sure is that our God is still talking and approaching me to know him and help us to understand his purpose in our life. On my journey of seeking Jesus and gaining faith and strength in the Lord, it has not been easy. It has not been something that emerged instantaneously after one time experiencing worship or reading through the Bible one time. Faith and strength were emerging by the sum of multiple experiences, learning spiritual disciplines, and people that God put in my life. Some of those people have been wonderful, and some have not been so wonderful. But God used them to show me for his mysterious will. And brothers and sisters, this time when I'm talking about God's mysterious will, I'm not referring to a testimony of prayers answered immediately in the direction that I wanted. And yes, I have those experiences too. I'm thinking about the day when I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at age 22. And nobody knows, including me, how long it will survive. I think that the day where I have to pray in the middle of a severe allergic reaction in a CT scan tube, when my heart was running faster as never experienced before for anaphylaxis, and I only can repeat on my mind what Mary respond to the angel. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled as in Luke 138. And you know what? This is, that is not easy. Even when my spirit desires to see him face to face, in the middle of the pain they diagnose and the trouble my soul aches, I fear and ask for life, for one more day around what and who I love. And as you can see, he answered, and that day he said yes. One more day for you, Mariana. More life from this side of heaven. Seriously, I love his yes. His yes. But also, I had to hear and find meaning in his no. When through the surgeries, 
I lost my biological opportunity to give birth a child, something that was seriously important for me. Sometimes that is hard for us to understand. Two different answers, but the same almighty and benevolent God operating in my life. He used his work, what I had learned before this crisis, to give me strength. He used my steps of faith and my job to draw me close. He used a lot of people to pray around me. He provided financially for the, the surgeries and the chemotherapies. Even though I had to suffer, and I'm still suffering the loss of having children biologically, and the special kids that I have around me, his will God bearded into my heart to be an advocate for those children. God has given me the purpose as uh, being working in the social field with children and their families. He has allowed me and my family to be involved in foster care. He has given me vision for more impact in this world, and I hope to fulfill that vision. Almighty God, merciful King, the one who decides over life and death, the one who established the way to access eternal peace through Jesus Christ, the one who invites us today to become aware and have discernment about the spiritual tools that he designed for us to use. He invited me to pray more, to read and meditate on his word, the Bible. He invited me to share his truth and hope with people. He encouraged me to treat my body good and to worship and to stay connected with my community. Thank you. Thank you, Mariana. So encouraging to hear people's stories in our own midst and share those with each other. I'd encourage you, as Neely challenged us, the, the, the fullness of our love is being spoken out there. May we live into that even every day as we share and interact with people. Well, as you exit today, you're going to see out in the hallway, there's opportunities for you to pause and check out some short-term teams that are heading out this summer, as well as possibly sign up to be part of the Refresh Conference and be part of what we do for a greater body here. And then right now, I'm going to invite up Mark Bauman, who is the chairman of our Elder Board, and he's going to be blessing us out. Thanks. Thank you, Lynn. Well, good morning, Over Lake. I tell you. Hope you've experienced just the powerfulness of this morning's time together as part of the body of Christ. Let me tell you, hearing from Mariana and just the invitation that God gave her. We serve the same God, and I love how she responded. Um, and Pastor Neely, your, your message this morning, thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was, it was impactful. And, uh, and worship, in the, the, the time of worship and music, Tell you that, that phrase about we serve a God who split the sea wide open. Like, just think when I think about things in my life, like, I, I, God loves me. He split the seas open for the nation of Israel. We get to be part of that family. He's our Father. So, tell you, this is what I love about the church getting to be together in moments like this. So, anyway, my name is Mark Bauman. I'm one of the elders here at Overlake. And uh, before I close this out with a blessing, uh, I wanted to just share an update on where we're at in, in our search process for a lead pastor. First of all, the elders recognize we are overdue in communicating. And for that, I apologize. We should have uh, been communicating earlier. Um, the elders and the organizational leadership team are working now on various ways to be more effective in this area. 
So that said, we appreciate all of your prayers, your questions, your, your words of encouragement. I think probably every single one of us on the leadership team and the elders have all uh, had people telling us they're praying for us. We get, we get emails, and we don't take that lightly. Thank you so much uh, for the prayers. We know that we're all in this together, and just as you're praying for us, we're praying for the body. So part of the search process involves listening to the Holy Spirit to discern what God has in store uh, for the future of Overlake. Basically, who is God calling us as a church to be? And this will help inform and identify who's next. And this is where the elders are spending much of our time right now uh, and recognizing the importance of prayer as part of this whole process. Uh, we've set actually daily reminders on our calendars at 6.30 each night to pray about what God has next for Overlake. And so this is actually not a physical gathering. I mean, we meet a couple of times a month, but each night at 6.30, we're pausing to stop and pray. And we invite Overlake uh, to set a time on your daily calendar to pray as well. So if 6.30 in the evening works for you, know that you'll be praying alongside the elders. But I encourage you, if there's another time in the day that works better, then choose that. Uh, Pastor Lynn mentioned the February survey, and so that's going to be sent soon, and that will be another point in this process. And so besides the survey, we'll also soon be sharing a number of ways that we want to engage the congregation to get additional input and to seek God together in this important decision. While we are pushing forward as quickly as possible, we certainly want to be completely, completely in sync with God and who, who He wants for OCC's lead pastor role. So rather than holding off honoring Pastor Mike until we find a successor, we plan to honor his many years at OCC sometime next month, and we'll certainly let you know once we have an official date set. Yeah. So please stand as I close our time in prayer. And as a reminder, um, if you're wanting prayer, we have amazing men and women um, in the prayer alcove who are waiting to pray with you. So if you're wanting prayer as you head down the stairs, just turn to the left and in that south corner, there, there are men and women who would love to spend some time in prayer with you. So just bow your heads as I, as I close this in prayer. So Overlake, especially in this season of transition, may you know that God has chosen you. Remember the faithful work that happens as you serve one another here and in your neighborhoods and globally. May our lives be an example to others and draw people to our Father. I pray that as we leave this place today, that our enduring hope is placed firmly in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great Sunday.